Well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Salt and Light. This is Dan de Villiers here with Dr. Philip Stott, who's been our guest this week for a couple of conferences and now even a webinar on creation and understanding such from a biblical vantage point. This evening we're going to be discussing a response to the frequented rise of theistic evolution. But as we begin, let me just first ask about the way that this has been such a shift in an understanding of science. So the means of conducting science has taken quite a substantial shift in the last several decades. And I wonder, Dr. Stott, if you could point to some of those key factors that gave rise to the redefining of scientific study. Well, science started out <clears throat> as that br branch of the search for knowledge which followed the scientific method. And well, good evening and welcome to this episode of Salt and Light. My name is Dan de Villiers and we have this evening with us Dr. Philip Stott. Dr. Philip Stott has been working for quite some time in the scientific field, an engineer by trade and, and uh, for field of study for quite some time, then going into teaching in a variety of different formats on creation, responding to evolution, even when the Soviet Union collapsed and he was able to get into some of those schools, he was invited into a variety of different uh, academic fields to be able to teach in high schools and, and uh, academic um, institutions on creation and on scientific study. So we're very welcome, very pleased to welcome him today in the studio. Let's begin within our discussion of theistic evolution this evening. Let's begin to just consider the history of where that has come from. The means of conducting scientific study has taken quite a substantial shift in the last several decades. Dr. Stock, could you point to some of the key factors that gave rise to the redefining of scientific study? Well, science was first put forward by Francis Bacon as, uh, <clears throat> as a Christian discipline. And it, the aim was to find out the truth about the Creator's creation. And truth was the central item. And in order to make as little as possible room for human error because our thinking is um, very distorted and it's not likely to be true. We must do everything and check it against the creation and so we must do experiments to see if what we think corresponds with what the creation really is. Now, that... Uh, proved to be a very successful way of studying the creation. And it didn't take very long before secular humanists realized that this method of looking at the creation was producing results even though they didn't believe in a creator who made this creation. And they gradually started taking over the whole structure of science. Now they didn't like the aim of science being to see how the creator had made his creation because they didn't like the idea of a creator. And they started bringing in rules to science which had more to do with uh, academic power and authority 
and Prestige. And um, they started bringing in concepts like you must have qualifications in science and you must publish your uh, articles in recognised journals of science and the publications that you make must be uh, recognised by um, members of the scientific establishment as being science. So gradually, instead of being an open field where anyone can look into the creation and find out how it works, it has become an exclusive kind of club where if you've got the right qualifications, you can class as a scientist and um, you can call your work science. Um, so this is a very major shift and instead of science being that which looks for the truth about the creator's creation, it has become a kind of um, field which has status, which has uh, prestige, and that prestige is maintained by um, conforming to the dictates of the scientific establishment. And that has made a complete difference. And um, the scientific establishment has made itself a highly authoritative body. Everybody uh, thinks it is wonderful and if something's scientific it must be true. And a, a major factor in this is that in looking for status, they have made it appear that most people can't understand science. It's very um, technical and there's technical jargon and advanced mathematics. So most people just have to stand in awe and think, well, these scientists really must know what they're talking about. Now, with some of the change that's happened in the way that science has been approached, going from that scientific method of Francis Bacon toward much more of that club mentality of whatever is published by those scientific journals, what's put forward um, by those recognized sources is now science. One of the, the popular views of the origins is to say that God used evolution to create the world so that they can come in line with that evolutionary model which is consistent with a redefinition of what scientific study is. But the question begs to be asked within even our circles, uh, circles within the churches, is theistic evolution, that is evolution as the basis or the, the means of God's creation, is that consistent with the biblical picture of God's creation? Well, it obviously isn't, but I'm afraid the theologians of today are much more concerned about being considered ignorant and so they, um, among themselves, have agreed. We cannot stand against what science says. We'll be considered idiots. So instead of standing up for what the, what the Bible says and saying, well, God says this, he is all-knowing, and 
he knows what he's talking about. Instead, the attitude among theologians has become we cannot stand against scientists. They have got the answers. And so we must reinterpret the Bible to fit in with what they say. And that is unfortunately why um, so many in the church are prepared to accept what science says rather than what the Bible says because, well, they're afraid of being considered foolish and irrelevant and ignorant. What do we see when we come to a biblical picture of the creation? What are some of the foundations that we can turn to as to how God created the world? In, in contrast to this theistic evolutionary model, what are, what are the pictures that we see or the picture that we see in Scripture as to how God created the world? Well, if we look at God's picture of the world, he created in six days and he points that out in the tables written on stone with his own finger. He gives us our commandments. He tells us what we should do. And he gives us as a justification for why he should have the authority to ask us or demand that we behave as he says, because for in six days... God created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that in them is. And that mm. all that in them is includes us. So since he created us, he has the right to tell us how to live our lives. Now, the evolutionists, they refute that he has this authority by saying, well, he didn't do the creation in six days. It happened slowly over billions of years by accidental processes. And if you are going to disregard what God says, you have to somehow reinterpret this six days of creation into millions of years. So you have to um, completely realign the scriptures somehow with these millions of years of evolution. Now, when we find in conversations, the arguments come to us that could God not have used anything that he wanted to use, any means he wanted to use in his creative work? That is to say, if God is all-powerful, could he not have created everything in millions and billions of years? How can we respond to those sorts of comments that come to us as we look to engage in discussion with people, even within the churches, that say God could have used whatever means he could have, he wanted to? Yes, this actually makes it far more difficult to reach Christians who have accepted the wisdom of this world than it is to reach secular humanists and atheists. Because to a secular humanist and an atheist, you can show them that what they are saying is untenable. You can show them that these millions of years are totally untenable. You can show them that the things that are required of evolution are totally intenable. And you can even reach the top evolutionists this way. 
Um, there was Anthony Flew, for example, one of the top atheist philosophers of the last century, a hero among many evolutionists, and he had to admit that it is impossible for evolution to account for the fact that one cell can have more information than all the volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, it is totally impossible for evolution to explain that. And Anthony Flew had to admit it. He said, well, look, it's true that evolution cannot explain that. And therefore, he abandoned evolution and became, shall we say, a believer in um, intelligent design. Now, if you show the same thing to a theistic evolutionist, he can say, oh, but God is capable of doing that. And so he doesn't abandon his uh, error like Flew did. He continues in his error in the, in the, uh, with the excuse that these impossibilities that you can show to an atheist they're not impossibilities to a theistic evolutionist. He can say, well, God did it that way. That really seems to point to a theology where we don't accept even the word of God in the simplicity of how it's been revealed, but more that we can interpret God's word however we would like to interpret it, a very muddied view then of God. But... Maybe we can take a few minutes to actually look at some of those examples of where evolution falls apart, or conversely, where a biblical model of creation is upheld. Could you point to maybe a few examples of where an evolutionary model just doesn't hold true, it doesn't, it doesn't hold consistent to what's observed? Oh yes, well I'm sure the simplest one is the fundamental law of science. Nobody has ever found any um, exception to the second law of thermodynamics. Now that expressed simply is that everything left to itself goes downhill. Information gets garbled. Um, order gradually fades away and becomes disorder. And this is the fundamental law of science, and evolution demands exactly the opposite. We start off with disorder, and all by itself, nature assembles it into order. Absolutely impossible from a scientific standpoint. But it's not impossible for a theistic evolutionist. He can say, oh, but God can order anything he wants. So showing him that this fundamental law of science destroys evolution, it, it's just not convincing mm. to him. What about when we turn to the fossil record, an often used example for evolutionists to say, well, is this not indicative of millions and billions of years to put down all of these layers? How can we respond to something like that within the fossil record? Well, the fossil record is interpreted in terms of Charles Lyell's uniformity uh, principle specifically to deny the flood. 
Now, the Bible says that God brought the waters upon the earth and destroyed it. The uh, evolutionist denies that that happened, and the flood explains all that we can see in the fossil record. We see millions of creatures which have been buried rapidly by a vast amount of sediment which must have been carried by a vast amount of water. And the uh, evolutionist tries, actually unsuccessfully, to pretend that all those fossils occurred by uh, death and covering up with sediment over millions or even billions of years. Now, that has been shown to be totally untenable because within the fossil record you find uh, problems like, for example, meteorite impacts which destroy the uniformity principle which can claim that these happened over millions of years. But again, to the theistic evolutionist, well, God can do it. He can work any way he wants to. And you can show the atheist the total inconsistency um, of the, the uh, uniformity principle. And you can show that it is simply not tenable. But God could have done it. Mm. So it's very difficult to reach a theistic evolutionist with the kind of demonstrations that will convince an atheist. Mm. And I have come across uh, atheists who will admit, yes, this cannot be true. And there have been very well-known um, leading evolutionists who have come to realize this is not possible and have turned away from evolution. Are there passages in scripture that point to this reality of people ignoring evidence in front of us or, or distorting it, even you know, reflective of Charles Lyell's uniformity principle to say that things always must be the way that we see them now? Are, are there passages in scripture that point to this reality that we would see around us as we engage in this sort of uh, study and research? Yes, we see that um, it's impossible, in effect, to reach someone with the truth when they have chosen to believe uh, the untruth and then God hands them over that they should believe a lie. We can see that in Thessal 2 Thessalonians, where because they did not believe God's word, the truth, he has handed them over to a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. And um, you can see this is not only people who don't believe in Christ at all, but they have believed the lies that people have told them about reality and instead of believing what God said, they have believed what the secular humanists say. And now you can see they're in such a position that although they have the truth, 
they have believed the lie because God has handed them over to this lie for not believing what he said. And it's more difficult to reach someone who God has handed over to believe the lie than someone who has believed the lie by being deceived. Dr. Stott, where do you see that the church, even more broadly perhaps in the church, that the scientific pursuit would lead to if we continue to ignore the basis of Scripture as a fundamental uh, means of interpretation even of what we see around us, where we disregard a scientific method of consistently observing those, those things around us. Where do you see that leading if we continue to incorporate this redefinition of what scientific study is? Well, we can see the result in many of the churches. Many of the churches have accepted what the secular humanists say. That means you have to reinterpret the Bible. And that means you can re reinterpret anything in the Bible. If you can reinterpret the clear statement that God created the, uh, the world, the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is them is in within them in six days. If you can reinterpret that to mean he created it over billions of years, you can reinterpret anything the scriptures say. So you can make the word of God say almost anything you want it to, to be. And I've come across um, churches where uh, they have reinterpreted for example, marriage is honourable among all and the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, it's much easier to interpret that to something like, um, well, God wants godly offspring and that uh, needs a, a stable marriage relationship. But today we can use very effective contraception so we won't have children that uh, will be raised in a manner that won't lead to uh, godly offspring. So as long as we are not intending to get married, we can use contraceptives and we can behave in this way. And it's, it's up to us. We are not going to produce the godly uh, the ungodly offspring that God was concerned about, um, well, we can, we can do it this way. And it takes far less twisting of Scripture to come to the conclusion that, well, living together is, is all right, it's acceptable, we don't have to be uh, morally pure. It takes far less twisting of Scripture to reach that conclusion than... Um, than to bring in millions of years. Dr. Stott, I wonder for, for those listening who are curious about looking further into science and, and eager to um, push further into just understanding more of creation, more of the world that God has, has uh, created around us, what would be good places that someone could start for perhaps children that are thinking, how can I get involved in digging into scientific study? Where can I learn more of God's creation? Um, what would be good resources to learn from? What, what resources could you point us to to help us in that? 
Okay, well, look, instead of spending your time on polluted media like um, the television, you could look at resources by Christians who are really intent on bringing the truth of God's word to the next generation. There are, um, there are organisations like um, Answers in Genesis, like the uh, Creation on the Web organisation, the Creation Research Society, who are producing material which is guided by what the Bible says. And uh, if you spend your time looking at these materials, then you're much less likely to be drawn into error than if you spend your time on secular humanist uh, programs like uh, National Geographic, where everything is interpreted in terms of uh, evolution. And uh, I, I never watch these things, but I've, I heard that I've heard that Discovery Channel is also always interpreted in terms of the evolutionary worldview. Now, there is much information on the web produced by these same organisations, Answers in Genesis, um, Creation on the Web. There, there are many sources like this which really seek to bring over a Christian worldview and they are far more credible than the evolutionary indoctrination websites that people seem to be directed to and gravitate to, which put forward a totally unchristian, uh, secular humanist worldview. Well, thank you so much for that. And to each of our listeners, we do want to encourage you as much as possible to dig into an understanding of the creation in, in as much as we see the scriptures revealing the character of God, so also we see even from Psalm 19 and other places that all of creation sings praise and attests to the glory of our creator. Um, so we do encourage you to look up resources wherein you can examine that further. Here at Frontline, we have a variety of different resources. We, we have actually just completed um, last week a webinar uh, several hours long with Dr. Philip Stotts going through not only some of the topics we've just here covered now, but a, a vast array of topics and, and extensive times of question and answer. There's also a box set on creation versus atheism that has uh, both audio lectures in MP3 format as well as a handful of PowerPoint presentations and, and other resources along with that that can be used um, to present those same arguments in a variety of different formats. Uh, we also have materials on creation evangelism that can be used to bridge the, segue the, the conversation from topics about creation to also sharing the gospel. So I encourage you to check that out on Christian Liberty Books website, as well as simply on our frontlinemissionessay.org website. You can call us here at the, the mission or email us. We look forward to staying in touch and encourage you as much as possible to be taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and considering well the creation that God has laid out to bring himself glory. 
and to do so on the basis of his word. So Dr. Stott, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real treat to have you with us. We look forward to hearing from you again sometime soon. Could I just put in a final word? Yes. Paul told us what we should do. He said the Bereans were sensible because everything they were taught, everything they were told, they compared with the scriptures to see if it was true. That's what a Christian could do. Whatever you're told, compare it with the scriptures to see if it can be true. Amen. Thank you so much and have a good night.